I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. So we are combining three of the things we love, podcast and then story and breakfast. And specifically, we're looking at the biggest story. We tend to read the Bible like it's something boring, um, a little more mechanical, when in truth it's full of all kinds of complicated characters and plenty of room for the imaginative. Uh, we're hoping that this could open up the way we read these stories, that we would see the people in them as real people and that that might help us connect to maybe God is real too, if the characters are real. We're going to look at a bunch of different stories in scripture and just ask the question, what did they eat for breakfast? And what did they want to eat for breakfast? And we're also just going to talk about what life felt like for them in the hope that maybe we'll see ourselves in the story and we'll see a real God moving through real people. We're calling this the breakfast translation. So Archie... Our producer is in the studio with us, which means we're we're walking on fire a little bit here because at any moment he could see a shadow <laughs> or hear a random noise five miles away and decide that he's very upset about it. But here we are. We're going to try and make it. And we're in Act 16, which is one of these moments where, you know, we've talked before about how, what a good storyteller Luke is. And so sometimes he does that thing. It's almost like a clip show. Yeah. Remember old sitcoms where it'd be like, and then this thing, remember when this thing happened? Right. And then these two characters were over here. Yeah. It's a little like that. It's a little like he's telling, by the way, here's five other things that happened. So Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) Oh, does he do that? Does Mm -hmm. he do a lot of uh, quick, quick talk? He does. I've only seen one of his movies and I, it haunts me to this day. Yeah. They're not, they're not for everybody. Yeah. Uh, it which was, one? I saw Inglorious Bastards. Okay, I haven't seen that one. Which I covered my eyes for large portions of it, but I didn't realize that I also need to cover my ears. Mm-hmm. Because there was like, oh, well, here's the Gory. sound of people being scalped or shot or dismembered or something. Um, so, yeah, not like my well, favorite. Well, it makes you feel any better. It was probably just like grapes being squished into the ground or whatever, the sound technician. I try to tell myself that uh-huh. when I'm in the movies. But I, don't doesn't, think they, I don't think doesn't they actually scalp It. I mean, it, it was a super interesting movie. Um, not as interesting as Act 16, but <laughs> I would say, you know, they're up there together. So here we are in this moment. We've just had this big giant chapter in Acts 15 where the church has decided oh God also loves Gentiles they're welcomed into our community we're only going to ask them to do a couple of different things uh, to show their faithfulness to this God and to this specific story but right away we run into difficulties of these expectations Um, remember the big fight was about circumcision so do Gentile folks who are just now coming to follow the story of Jesus need to follow the Jewish story and be circumcised? And Paul has this, like a, what do you call the person who's being mentored? Mentee? Mentor mentee. Yeah. So he has this mentee, Timothy. Tim, Tim, mentee? Is that, is that, yeah, I think you're getting, yeah. Is that something that's genius that nobody's thought of before? Mm-hmm. Tim Timenti Yeah, I think we've cracked the code on what my contribution to the, the global church will be. Um, <laughs> so here's this guy, Tim, Tim Menti, who his actual story, again, we have in much like the story of Paul, he has a cultural clash in his own person. So uh, his mother is Jewish, but his father is Gentile. 
So even within his own story, he has a culture clash. And because his dad is a Gentile, I think a lot of times with that sort of intimate decision of having a child circumcised or not, the father would maybe be the voice for that because the women are going to be are going to bow out of that to say, maybe this should be a call for the men. So Timothy is he's grown, but his dad did not have him circumcised. And so as he becomes more and more a key player in the church, there's this question of should he be circumcised? And what's interesting to me is that even though they make a decision that people don't have to be circumcised, he is. So I think this is a, when you study Paul, this becomes a part of his person is that he makes concessions so that even if he in his ideal view sees this as not a requirement, he makes a concession because he knows that the easier thing will be for Tim Menti to go ahead and kind of conform to this expectation. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. We see this with bigger deal issues. We'll see it with, um, as he tries to work out the issue of slavery instead of making like a giant sweeping statement with his friend, um, Onesimus, who is a runaway slave he sends a letter to Onesimus's former owner and makes kind of a, con- a concession to the idea of slavery, but tries to get Philemon to do the bigger thing of just releasing Onesimus to freedom. So I think very often you see Paul make these sweeping statements, right? He makes this giant statement that in Christ, there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, free nor slave. But then in the actual working out of being people together and working together, he sometimes concedes to these lines that people draw. I mean, it just shows how um, global these changes and shifts. And um, I mean, it's one one thing to be outward facing, but the internal shifts that are made too are confusing. We see that with women, right? That he, he has this giant idea of they're no longer being male nor female. But when he wants the gospel to be, to be believed, he's very concerned with it coming from people who have credibility in the community, which very often are not women because they don't have education. And the culture, as we've talked about, kind of sees them as less than truthful, has liars, has manipulators. And so we see him very often trying to work in these systems that he knows aren't, are not what Jesus would build if Jesus built the world systems but trying to work within them. And uh, we see that in the, the tension between the, the letter he writes to Galatia and the letter he writes to Corinth, you know, to the people who are super free and easy with their sexuality. He says, maybe you guys should put some more boundaries on this. But to the people who have too many boundaries in Galatia, he says, maybe you guys need to be a little more freer. So here he is with Timothy trying to decide whether to stick to those Acts 15 lighter, the lighter ask of, of Acts 15, but he says maybe you should go ahead and, and get circumcised. So uh, Timothy, it's interesting in the church, he kind of, we don't know a ton about him, but he kind of becomes this paradigm for that role of a younger person. Um, so we only get a little bit about him, but do you have any feel for what he would have what would he have for breakfast? 
I, I guess it's in sort of like straddling two different worlds, maybe he's doing the sweet and savory at the same time okay. or trying to navigate that. What, what were your ideas? Yeah, I think I, I think because I grew up with this picture of him as the young person. Mm-hmm. So I would say of all the people we've met so far, I think he's maybe the most likely to eat a Pop-Tart. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's maybe the most likely to just be like, frosted flavor like he needs some sugar right uh but we do know later on in in the letters to timothy we, we do find out that he also has kind of a delicate stomach oh so maybe not pop tarts so maybe yeah. he's just eating he famously is counseled by the letter writer to timothy maybe paul that he maybe needs a little wine huh. to settle his stomach um so maybe he's just a, like a plain oatmeal yeah. I don't know or maybe he's eating um what are those the gogurt or something because yogurt <laughs> has the probiotics but there you go. he's still he got does. the youthful flair I, I wish he did have probiotics I feel like maybe his ministry would be enhanced if he could have had some of those good probiotics yeah um so anyhow he enters the fold we're actually gonna there's a lot of stuff we actually forgot to talk about this in Acts 15 but there's some um there's some controversy in the inner circle of Paul's world. He and Barnabas, Barnabas, who's known for being an encouragement, they actually have a fight about uh, including John Mark. And there's a moment where they disagree about whether John Mark should go on all these missions with them. And so they actually end up parting ways in Acts 15. There's a bit of a shakeup. Um, like a, this is like a behind the music you remember those on VH1? <laughs> like, uh, those are old old TV shows. But this is a bit a bit of like a splitting up of the band. The band's breaking internal up. disagreement. That's right. So. They've gotten too famous. They've gotten too big for themselves, and so they have to have a fight. Um, but I kind of love that because I think sometimes with acts we have this picture of it as perfect, but it's not right. It's right there. It says that they. Got in a fight. And they got in a out. fight. They couldn't quite agree about the role of John Mark, and they couldn't quite figure out if he should be in the circle. Interesting, like, this is probably the person connected to the gospel of Mark, and here they are, not quite sure what role he should play. <laughs> this guy um, which is comforting, to, I think, maybe to people who are in ministry or who just don't quite know what their role is in the wider church, that... Uh, it's not a new thing to have there be some disputes about that. And even just in the chapter of uh, Acts, we even have Luke, our writer. There are some we passages. Have we talked about the we passages yet? I don't think so. Uh, every once in a while in Luke, it'll shift from third person to first person. Oh, we definitely haven't because that's fascinating. Okay, so instead of just saying they did this, it'll start to say we. And so uh, scholars and people who spend a lot of their energy studying this stuff feel like that's when Luke enters the chat, basically. (laughs) So that's when Luke kind of joins them and he kind of comes in and out of the story, which lends some credibility to the storytelling, right? Because if he's along for the trip once in a while, no wonder he knows exactly um, what they're up to in the story. So we have some, some moments here in Acts 16 where Luke seems to be a, a part of the journey. And the journey gets dicey here. There's a moment where we get our a mention here of uh, Paul wanting to go to a place called uh, Bith, Bithynia, 
maybe? Yes. Again, as I always say, you just have to say it with confidence. So I broke my own rule there. I know there's a question mark at the end. Bithynia. I think it's because I never, the why is so elusive. I never know how to use it. So, uh, but yes, they have this place they wanted to go. That's sort of called Bithynia. And the spirit doesn't allow them. It says the spirit of Jesus does not allow them to go there. And instead, uh, we see dreams coming into play. Uh, there's this dream of a Macedonian man calling out for help. And so they organize their travel around these kind of supernatural GPS instructions. Um, we've talked to us a couple times about dreams. The, the Cornelius Simon Peter meet cute is kind of couched as a vision dream kind of thing. Um, what do you think about that? Has, what, is, what do you think about dreams being a, a teaching device? I um, am 100% on board with that. Dreams help me so much uh, whenever I learn something new. Like, I remember when I started playing the guitar, I, um, very there was no, like, hidden meaning or anything. I would be playing the guitar in my dream, and then I'd wake up, and I'd be able to do the chord a little bit better than I could the night before. All right. I know. So some autopilot learning going on. That's very specific. But, yeah. So could you see like the where your fingers should right, sit on I'd the fretboard? Be on? super similar to just the experience of sitting down. Same with um, if I was writing a really big paper, I would edit it into my dreams, and then it got kind of confusing because I'd wake up and not know what <laughs> changes I made. But it was very um, it, not no metaphor happening. It was literally okay. the paper I was writing. I dream about how the intro should be the conclusion, and the conclusion should be the intro. And, I have never heard anybody say something that's really <laughs> Oh yeah. I'm glad you said it's fascinating because we also have talked about how boring it is too. Yes. yes. <laughs> so the second somebody says I had this dream last night, my brain automatically says this what they're about I to can't say does listen not matter. This. Yeah. Yeah. I know I've really tried to package it into these eight second chunks. <laughs> yeah. To keep my listeners' yeah. attention. What about you though? Have you No, I do the same thing because I find other people's dream talk I think I'm supposed to see it as like a, a picture into their deepest self but I see it more like this does not matter right because for every meaningful dream I also have a thousand dreams where I'm just I'm often riding in roller skates in circles <laughs> uh, which might be a happy is it not, is it a happy dream or a neutral or sad um I'm just always on roller skates so sometimes <laughs> it's great and sometimes it's not I think it has ties to middle school okay because I roller skated a lot in middle school. Uh, but I also, I do have one dream that I thought was something more than I, what I maybe could see. Uh, in And I'll keep it to, what's your, eight seconds? Eight seconds. Okay. Well, I'll give you 12. Okay, 12 seconds. So I had a dream that my friend's child was missing. Oh, man. And we all went looking for their child. And we found her in like a nightclub. Okay. And she was... Or we found a note first that said, you will find the child in the loneliest place in the world. And so we searched all over trying to figure out where's the loneliest place in the world. And we found her in this nightclub. And she was like a, a white baby in a room of non-white people. And that was the loneliest place in the world. Wow. Uh, was to be in a room where everybody was different than uh-huh. you. And I remember waking up like, does that mean something? I, I think you like wrote a made, poem in your sleep. I feel like that made more sense than my normal roller skating dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you've ever had that feeling of being the only person in a room that looked the way you look, 
or if you've ever been a minority in a room, there is a loneliness to it. And I, I don't know, there was nothing going on in my life at that time that made me dream that. Uh, but I've, I've held on to it uh, very tightly. Um, and I, I, it has never moved me to like go do a thing, but it is something I care deeply about is how it feels to be the non-majority in a room, partly because of that, that dream. Right. Uh, but dreams are, play a big part in here, whether it's like, and sometimes it's as specific as here's how to play a, a D minor, you know, like sometimes it's, it's the spirit telling them go to this city and not that city. And sometimes it's has philosophical, has God shows no partiality, right? In the Simon Peter Cornelius story. So here's a moment where they're being led by a dream and they end up changing their direction. Uh, we meet here one of my favorite women in the book of Acts, which is a woman named Lydia. Uh, do you remember anything about Lydia? Has you read this chapter? Lydia is fancy. She's very <laughs> fancy. And we know that through some coded stuff. Uh, well, it tells us she's a, a woman of wealth. Um, and part of why we get that confirmed is that she deals in purple cloth. And purple means... And purple means money. Money. Um, I don't know if Prince knew that. I don't know if that was his, why he picked purple as his color. Uh, but purple in the ancient world was like one of the hardest colors to manufacture. Okay. I so, guarantee my, my college that I went to knew that because they like to... What was that there? They like to exude, um, well, this is wealth, this is yeah. fancy. And that was their and color. purple was is their color. I, I guarantee it was intentional yeah. to some degree. I mean, it goes way back. Um, Alice Walker's color purple, actually, it talks about that too, is, has purple as this being this sacred, divine, close to God color. Um, and because it's so hard to, to make and to create. And so she's a, a woman of means. But she's not just a woman of means. She shares these means. She's a woman of hospitality. So here we have another a case where when she learns about Jesus, it's not just for her. It's a, she's responsible for a whole household. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, a pattern we've seen. Yeah. This household, what they call a household conversion. And um, I think it's so, it's fascinating to me, just it, it makes you kind of think about the people that you are most associated with, how they maybe influence you more than you even know, um, and how either it's that the story of Christ is so compelling that whoever hears it, if they hear it told the right way from the apostles, they, are, they jump on board, uh, or it just shows like how affecting it can be when somebody really kind of falls for this story. Um, so here we have a household conversion, uh, Lydia and all the people that she is responsible for kind of decide that the Jesus story is the story for them. Um, any feel for Lydia's breakfast choices? We know she's, she's fancy. What's a fancy, what's the fanciest breakfast? When I'm feeling fancy, I do eggs Benedict. Okay. Um, and just, even just the word Benedict sounds, I don't even know what that means. You have to, to poach the egg. There's a, a big process. I don't know how, I think you have to whirl the yolk in the boiling water. There's hollandaise sauce. It just all oh sounds gosh. very lovely. Sounds. I'm new to it. Complex. Mm -hmm. It uh, is. So uh, Lydia is also the first person in Europe to decide to follow Jesus. Wow. So I, I know this is very cute. 
but I want to give her French toast. Uh huh. <laughs> because, which I don't even think is European. So I'm very mad at myself for this choice. But it's another, I feel like this is the right thing it's for a, her. It's a just... destiny. Yeah. I think she, because uh, I also think French toast is a little, a little fancy. I think so. Right? It's like just toast is not sufficient. Eggs, not sufficient. There needs to be a process where you mix oh. the two and you hide them in each other. I see you're you're insecure about it being French toast because she's in Europe. <laughs> I wasn't even gonna, yeah. like French fries. You don't eat French fries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how bad of a joke it is. But no, it, I, I think it's lovely. French, yeah. French toast uh, is fancy. So I think she. It's fancy. It's also it's it's not European, but it has a, a, the name of a of a European country in it. So there you go. Um, now, also in this story, we see um, Paul and his co-workers free a young slave girl uh, who has a spirit of, of divination. Or, I don't know how you say that word exactly. Divin, divination. divination. Mm-hmm. And we find out that this is, she has some kind of evil spirit in her that makes her valuable. Um, she's able to, to tell people's fortunes. Oh, okay. I was wondering, I saw that note about, um, the note I saw, I read in the Bible (laughs) that it was bringing value, um, to the people who, yeah, somebody is making money off of her gift. Um, and this, so we don't know if she really has any like capability of like telling people something that sounds true to them or if it's just pure exploitation. Um, but there's an, there's an inclination here that there's actually a, a, a demon in her there's some kind of evil thing inside of her and paul frees her this is a bold move for paul in a lot of ways uh because again we've talked about how in a world where women are not valuable but especially a young girl who is a part of the slave system would not be valuable and so here paul is interrupting his world to free her and what I find kind of fun about this story is that it says that his motivation is that he's annoyed. It's right there in verse 18. Verse. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. So here he's not motivated by this giant philosophical idea that there should no longer be slave nor free. He's motivated by something that I think we can all understand. Annoyance. Stop kicking the seat. (laughs) Stop trying to get me um, to up my auto warranty. And so here he is. I think it's hard to say if he's just annoyed at her because she's crying out in the streets and she's calling them names or she's or or if he's mad at her being exploited but he ends up freeing her and that ends up getting him in one of the things that we've seen happen often which is he goes directly to jail and so here he is he's now with a guy named Silas who is like I like to think of him as not Barnabas. Okay. <laughs> so if he if it's not Barnabas, 
then it's yeah then it's silas which i don't know exactly what his name means oh i see i was making him the opposite of <laughs> yeah that works that could we could call him the discourager <laughs> or we could just call him i don't know do you know people who i do feel like every once in a while in your circle of friends you have a friend who you're just like well you're not this person <laughs> so you're welcome to be here because you're not this person so it's a little bit of like he's just bringing a different vibe to the circle so uh, here's Silas. A different vibe to the circle <laughs> uh, of jail. <laughs> Silas, also called not Barnabas. And this is one of their more famous prison release stories. Oh, we've already seen some prison release stories. Remember, we had the one guy who, when he wakes up and sees that the chains are all off the, the holding cells, he wants to, like, do away with himself. And then he sees that Paul and company are... Maybe this was Peter. They're still in the cells, remember? We, so we've had two or three different stories already where they've ended up in prison and then somehow ended up out. Out of prison, yeah. Well, here is a moment where there's a giant earthquake that frees them that says it's so violent. It shakes the prison, and that's what opens up all the doors. Um, and this is what... Uh, hymn writers and songwriters have latched onto this idea of opening up the doors and the earth quaking and people being free. It's a very powerful, it's got a lot of poetry to it. Um, but they again stay. And here we have again, the guard thinks I've failed at my job and he thinks he's going to do away with himself and ends up not doing that and instead what we get is a household conversion of the jailer uh, he instead of his life in this empire that's all about power and violence he hears about a, a different kind of kingdom that's about freedom and he falls for that wow um so this is also, in this story, the first time that Paul pulls his Roman citizen card. And we talked about that before, how he has this Roman citizenship that gets him out of trouble in the same way that if you or I ever went to Canada and, you know, did the kind of thing you and I might do in Canada, which could get us in, I don't know what that is, eat too much breakfast. Uh, if we ever got in trouble in Canada, we'd say, from America, and we might get treated better um i think what what i like about these chapters even when nothing giant happens there is this sense of paul and the others moving through community that has they move around the world even when they find themselves in trouble even when there are evil spirits at work calling them names even when there are these cultural pressures and clashes that there's some comfort that they're always with each other uh, they end up, after they're released, they end up going back to Lydia's home because they experience it as a place of hospitality. Uh, I wonder, have you ever had that feeling um, of going through the world with other people? Yeah, I, I'll pull in a sports metaphor, but being okay. on a track team it was um, in, in school was really important to me, especially um, in this chapter. It reminds me of that experience since there were so many different event groups that were all um, competing for the same ultimate goal. So we would be practicing at different times and um, doing radically different movements with our body. But at the end of the day, we'd come in for our, our team meeting at the end and all celebrate or be disappointed together. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think when you watch a track meet, it's kind of fascinating because you have the people running, you have the people throwing stuff, you have the people jumping, and they're all moving their bodies in different ways for the same team. Yeah, the same cause. Yeah, that's a beautiful picture. Um, I don't know if you just saw the, um, the U.S. gymnastics team just competed, and Simone Biles, who is this extraordinary athlete, maybe maybe the best athlete certainly to ever compete in gymnastics, but it's hard to like compare that to other sports. But there was a, um, a video that was going around this month of her putting a hair bow in her teammate's hair. Aww. Like, so here she is doing these moves that nobody's ever seen done on a gymnastics floor and taking time to take care of her teammate. Yeah. Um, I think for me, you know, I went to school in Tennessee and that community, even though there's people there that I haven't seen in years or that I see every two years or something, still feels like that's who I'm with in some ways. Mm-hmm. That there's a certain way that we were kind of taught to understand the, the story of Jesus that feels unique to me. So that even as I move through the world and move through different churches and different complications and all that stuff with church world, um, I feel at home in that space so I even when I my immediate vicinity doesn't feel like I fit in I do feel like there's a wider team that I belong to and I think ultimately that's the the picture of the kingdom of God right is it's having the people that you're in it in it with that community that matters and so I think it's really important uh, because Paul is somebody who we read his if you just read his letters does feel like he's like an island like he's the special person up on the hill. Like he's a sage on the mountain that nobody else can touch. So I love reading these stories where he is moving in and out of community, where he's getting in fights, where he has to stay on somebody's couch for the night, you know, where he has to figure out what do you say to a jailer who's about to like off himself because he can't handle the stress of his job. Uh, I like seeing him have to interact with other people and not be just a loner apostle that we kind of, magnify sometimes so uh we're about to hit the road we've been kind of centered geographically but as you can see we've already got europe in the picture and we're about to do a whole lot more traveling here on the breakfast translation Uh, so our next episode we're actually going to rank our top five chain breakfast places and we would encourage those of you who are listening along with us to join that fight with us. Uh, Maybe you'll have a dream about which one should be in number one, the number one slot. Uh, But join the joint, get in the fray with us, fight about what are your top five breakfast locations, especially when you're on the road, making your way through the world. So thanks for joining us on the Breakfast Translation.